There's still people in here. Guys, it's over. Come on. I, I, I got to wait for it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. How many more is in there? Come on. You got to come now. How come I never get invited to those nice sightseeing tours in D.C.? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Sounds fun. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. It's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your, well, most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, as, as listeners may know, we do like to uh, put out our corrections when warranted uh, right up front when possible, as opposed to burying them at the end of the show. Am I right, Desi Doyen? <laughs> yes, we do. Get it out of the way. You will be delighted to know uh, that we have heard from a listener. I need to uh, offer a correction. Okay. And it's not one that you made. Yay! So there's that. (laughs) This from uh, Dan in Minnetonka, Minnesota, via email to bradcast at bradblog.com. Subject, important facts. Hi, Brad and Desi. Thanks for highlighting the recent laws passed and signed by Democratic Governor Tim Walls regarding abortion rights, voting rights, and climate change. All good laws, by the way. We highlighted a a day or two ago on the show. Dan notes there's one statement from your broadcast that needs correcting. You said Minnesota is the home of a thousand lakes. Actually... It's 10,000 lakes. Yes, that's true. Uh, and, uh, you know, even though I made the mistake, clearly, Des, you're the producer. It's your fault yes. for not catching that. I should have heard it and <clears throat> caught it and corrected it immediately. I am so sorry. Dan, well, you should I be. regret my Dan, You, I'm glad you do. Dan uh, <laughs> notes that it's printed on our vehicle license plates. He says, I know it's just an estimate. The actual count is closer <laughs> to 13,000. Now, but that he, I did not know. But uh, Well, there you go. He is right, of course. It is embarrassing. I stand corrected. Uh, thank you, Dan. He then goes on to add, here's the other fact that the rest of the nation should never forget. Minnesota was the only state to vote against 
Ronald Reagan in the 1984 presidential election, which is true, although it should be noted that Reagan was running against Minnesota native Walter Mondale at the time. Uh, nonetheless, I will agree with uh, Dan's closing statement. He says, shame on all the rest of you 49 states. Dan in <laughs> Minnetonka, Minnesota. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate that correction. In less enjoyable news today, however, Russia's barbaric assault and war crimes on its sovereign neighbor Ukraine increased overnight across largely the entire nation. It is what uh, apparently some of our friends, sadly, on the left have shamefully uh, found common ground on with folks like Donald Trump and others on the right. They seem to want autocratic imperial Russia to simply roll over and take over some or all parts of democratic Ukraine. Russia showered uh, Kiev, Lviv, and other major cities across Ukraine with what officials said was an unprecedented array of missiles on Thursday morning, stepping up its assault on the entire country. As the long ground war drags on in the east, the total of 81 missiles were used in a, quote, massive attack on Ukrainian infrastructure, the Ukrainian military said. And yes, if that was civilian, not mili military infrastructure, as indicated by the reports that I've seen today, that would be yet another war crime for Russia. Add it to the growing list. The attack is said to have also included, for the first time, six Kinzhal ballistic missiles that have the ability to elude Kiev's air defenses. This is an attack like I don't remember seeing before, said a spokesperson for the Air Force Command of Ukraine. So far, we have no capabilities to counter these weapons, he said, referring to those Kinzhals. Um, which are uh, new weapons for the first time being used here against Ukraine. In a Facebook message on Thursday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said, uh, quote, the enemy fired 81 missiles in an attempt to intimidate Ukrainians again, returning to their miserable tactics. The occupiers can only terrorize civilians. That's all they can do, but it won't help them. They won't avoid responsibility for everything they have done, Zelensky said. He listed 10 regions across Ukraine where these cowardly aerial attacks took place, including Dnipro, Odessa, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, and said the attacks hit, quote, critical infrastructure and residential buildings. Unfortunately, there are injured and dead. He added my condolences to the families, he said. Uh... In Kiev, an air raid alert lasted for almost seven hours overnight mm. into Thursday. The Russian Ministry of Defense, for their part, said the barrage of missiles was a, quote, massive retaliation strike in response to uh, what the ministry called, quote, terrorist actions in Russia's Bryansk region last week. Russian security officials claimed a small Ukrainian armed group last week Quote, violated the Russian border by crossing into the southern Bryansk region in Russia. Well, it would be terrible if one country violated another's border, wouldn't it? Russian President Vladimir Putin described the incident as a terrorist attack. A local official said two civilians were killed. However, local media did not carry any images of the supposed incidents. 
Uh, any type of confrontation or any alleged raid reported by Russian authorities, that according to CNN, which said that they could not independently verify Russia's claims. The pretext by Russia for Thursday's attacks was dismissed by Kiev's defense ministry, which likened the Kremlin's claims of, quote, retaliation to propaganda tactics used by the Nazi regime in justifying the use of V-1 flying bombs over London during World War II. Brothers in spirit, the ministry said, referring to the Kremlin and the Third Reich. So even if the uh, story of a band of Ukrainian nationals crossing into Russia is true, for which there appears to be no evidence yet, uh, that would come after the entire Russian army, by and large, has invaded and or attacked the entire nation of Ukraine over the past year. After occupying parts of it, by the way, for the last nine years since 2014. But sadly, some of our progressive friends have been duped into supporting this imperialistic authoritarian aggression against a democratic sovereign nation. And in that, they appear to be locking arms with the MAGA right, including Donald Trump. Uh, Though uh, this week, Fox News' Sean Hannity seemed to try to want to protect Donald Trump, protect Donald Trump from himself, at least regarding Ukraine and Russia, following Trump's nearly two-hour-long speech at last weekend's whacked-out far-right CPAC conference. According to Daily Beast's Justin uh, Barragona, Donald Trump has long insisted that the Ukraine war would have never happened if he were still president, going so far as to blame the, quote, rigged election on Russia's unprovoked invasion while claiming he and apparently he alone had the magic words to stop the fighting, quote, immediately. During a radio interview with Fox News host and longtime confidant Sean Hannity, The twice-impeached ex-president, according to Barragona, finally revealed how he personally would have prevented the war. According to Trump, all he needed to do was let Russia, quote, take over parts of Ukraine. Oh, well, that's all. Just uh, (laughs) just let Russia keep parts of the country. That was easy. Give Putin what he wants. Reward them for their unlawful invasion and their war crimes against neighboring country. Problem solved. No problem. Too bad he wasn't around to stop World War II by simply allowing Hitler to keep whichever country that he wanted to invade. That would have been peace in our time, I guess, according to Trump's view of war, at least when it comes to allowing authoritarian aggressors to have their way. Uh, saying that Russia was going for the, quote, whole enchilada with Joe Biden as president. Trump added that Russia, quote, took over nothing while he was in the White House because Vladimir Putin, quote, understood that he would have never done it, whatever that means. The former president then added, quote, that's without even negotiating a deal. I could have negotiated. At worst, I could have made a deal to take over something. There are certain areas that are Russian-speaking areas, frankly, but you could have worked a deal. Worked a deal. In other words, a deal to allow Russia to have, you know, just some of a neighboring country that did not belong to them and posed no threat to them. But 
Here's where it gets fun. Later that evening, Hannity played excerpts of his exclusive interview with Trump on the radio that day on his primetime Fox News program, along with highlights of Trump and his bombastic speech at at CPAC, though Hannity aired the segment featuring the ex-president boasting he could have stopped the war in Ukraine, he curiously omitted the portion where Trump revealed his plan to give away pieces of sovereign democratic Ukraine to authoritarian Russia. Instead, shortly after Trump says, quote, I could have negotiated, well, the audio quickly skips about 30 seconds of speaking time for some reason. Before picking up again where the former president uh, pivots to his complaint that, quote, China no longer respects the U.S. It, and it's a very sloppy cut uh, that you can hear if you know what to listen for. Now, earlier today, the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, he joined me on my radio show uh, to discuss China, Russia, inflation, energy, and so much more. And here I ask him why he thinks Vladimir Putin would not have invaded Ukraine if he was president. Take a listen. Let me ask you about Ukraine. You've said that before. Why would it not have happened if you were president? Putin understood that you can't do it. You can't do it. Don't forget, under Bush, they take over Georgia. Under Obama, they took over Crimea. And under Biden, they're taking over everything. It looks like they're going to take over everything, the whole thing. They're going to go for the whole enchilada. They're going for everything. That's what it looks like to me. You know, that's not what you hear on on the fake news, but that's what it looks like to me. And under Trump, you know what they took over? They took over nothing, Russia. First time, first president in a long time. They took... He understood he would have never done it. He would have never. That's without even negotiating a deal. I could have negotiated. China no longer respects the United States. Just on to the next topic there. Let's take out that part about, well, we could have given them a few pieces. They didn't even try that hard to edit it well. (sighs) Even we can edit better than that. (laughs) I can do better than that. Uh Uh, Besides asserting that uh, he would have stopped Russia from invading Ukraine by making a deal to let them, quote, take over something. Trump also said in the portion that was not aired by Fox that, quote, so many people are dying. uh, More more people are dying than is being reported while reiterating that this would have never happened under his watch. So this follows uh, recent weeks in which Trump has repeatedly bragged that it would be uh, quote, easy to end the war in Ukraine, claiming that it would take him only a single day to reach a peace deal deal between Russia and Ukraine. Quote, we could end the Ukraine conflict in 24 hours with the right leadership, he declared. Well, now we know how. Simply, you know, force a sovereign nation to give up its sovereignty. And there you go. Problem solved. By the way, folks on the left that have been duped into finding common ground with uh, that yutz and other far-right-wing isolationists and Putin supporters on this matter, that's who you're signing on with. A, you know, a deal to take over something. That's who and what you are signing uh, up with. That even on Fox News... They were too embarrassed to include that section on Sean Hannity's show. So congratulations for folks who are buying into that uh, crap. Anyway, speaking of Fox, uh, we haven't discussed in a while the uh, $1.6 billion Dominion voting system defamation lawsuit against them. 
Uh, we haven't discussed that of late, as hundreds and hundreds of pages of evidence have been released as part of Dominion's motion for summary judgment against Fox for having lied about Dominion's voting and tabulation computers being used to steal the 2020 election from Donald Trump. And uh, they knew that they lied about it, as the evidence shows, uh, you know, despite lying repeatedly about it and giving those lies airtime following uh, the election. Well, we haven't covered it much, among other reasons of late, because frankly, everyone else is now following and covering that story. That's good. Yes, the corporate media. So, Frankly, I'm not necessarily all that needed uh, in that case to cover that story. They're they're doing a good job of plowing through all of that evidence. But I do want to note uh, one point here, uh, and I was reminded of this because, you know, hearing Sean Hannity covering for uh, Donald Trump by cutting right. out that uncomfortable part of his 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 comments. Dominion is is asking the judge to simply decide now in favor of Dominion without a trial, claiming that asking for summary judgment, claiming that, in fact, there are no disagreements between the two parties on the material facts of the case and that that should allow them to completely skip a trial on those facts and move straight to a trial on the damages, on liability, how much money Dominion should be awarded in this case. Now, at the same time, Fox, I believe, has also finalized its own Uh, filing for summary judgment, hoping that the judge will simply toss out the entire case. No trial needed in that case. Toss it out in their favor. So, uh, you know, I I don't want to mention any names here in case they turn out to be wrong about this. I I don't want to embarrass anybody. But an attorney uh, who I know well has been telling me privately for weeks now via email as all of this evidence has been coming in from Dominion and from Fox based on all of their filings. This uh, person has been telling me that the judge in this case must find on uh, summary judgment in favor of Dominion based on the evidence, allowing the case then to go straight to uh, to skip a a trial and go only to a trial on damages and, and liability. As this lawyer writes via email, quote, there's been a good deal of coverage regarding the scandalous admissions by people at Fox from Murdoch on down. What isn't usually mentioned is that the info is part of a motion for summary judgment. If it's granted, Fox's liability for defamation will be established as a matter of law. The only issue to be tried would be damages. Now, I I suspect that this person may be right on the law. They're a lawyer. I am not. That said, I'm not quite as confident as they are that our our judiciary actually follows the rule of law anymore. (laughs) Well, and for good reason. You know, to the point where uh, the judge here would be able to simply skip a trial entirely on such a huge, high-profile, potentially landmark First Amendment case, as at least as Fox is characterizing it. They're claiming this is First Amendment. Uh, Dominion is claiming that, uh, no, you out and out lied, you knew you lied, and you did so with actual malice, which is the standard here. Uh, But, you know, with so much at stake, I I would be surprised, frankly, if the judge just said, "Okay, that's it. Summary judgment in favor of Dominion. 
But since I haven't heard uh, others in the media making this case that Dominion should, uh, you know, much as less is likely to win on summary judgment, I wanted to mention this person's strong belief that that is what will happen. In a follow-up email, in reply to my response about my worries that the judge would actually, you know, uh, my disbelief that the judge would set aside all of the politics here to grant summary judgment to Dominion. The attorney writes, quote, a party is entitled to summary judgment when there's no genuine dispute regarding material facts and the uncontroverted evidence establishes that the moving party is entitled to judgment as a matter of law. In this instance, the motion is based upon admissions made by numerous Fox witnesses all the way up to Rupert Murdoch in sworn depositions and in the emails which show that everyone who had editorial control knew that they were publishing lies and that lies amounted to defamation. That doctrine applies where someone is falsely accused of illegal misconduct under New York Times v. Sullivan. Dominion has to establish mal- uh, has to establish malice, either knowledge that the defamatory remarks were false or a reckless disregard for the truth. That says this attorney has been established via the evidence that you have seen recited by the mainstream media. This wasn't a one-off. Fox continued to knowingly defame Dominion continuously over a span of months, despite repeated Dominion demands to stop. All of that evidence came from the defendants, came from Fox News in this case. The amount of money at issue has nothing to do with it, the attorney says. Neither does the landmark nature of the case. If there's no genuine dispute regarding the material facts, the court is obligated to enter a summary judgment as to liability. There will still have to be a jury trial on damages unless the parties settle. Frankly, I'd be surprised if the court did not grant that motion. So there you go. Uh, I, I don't know if I have heard that position elsewhere out there in the media that, you know, the the, the rule of law here is that... That if Summary judgment should be granted if you've got the facts <clears throat> and you've got the merits of the case and the yeah uh, that no amount of money is supposed to affect the judge's decision in this case. But I I can't help but think that maybe maybe it will anyway. As you had mentioned that with today's judiciary that we have that that maybe that will be something uh, on such a landmark case that a judge exactly. might not have the courage <clears throat> to both have summary judgment on a landmark First Amendment case and one that is uh, risking one point six billion dollars. It just seems like such a huge case with yeah. not just the money, but also the, the facts of uh, a First Amendment case like this, uh, you know, very, very rare against a news outlet. Uh, so we will see. But I just wanted to share that uh, point. And, and if this uh, attorney turns out to be correct, well, I'll be happy to disclose who it was. I just don't want to call them out by name in the event that they're wrong. But I thought you should know about it, that at least You know, one longtime attorney thinks Fox's goose is cooked here on the summary judgment motion uh, that there won't even be a need for a trial on anything but damages. Unless, of course, Fox decides to settle the case first. That could happen as well. Also, by the way, since the corporate media is finally going nuts over all of this Dominion stuff and their $1.6 billion lawsuit, just a friendly reminder, by the way, there is another 
defamation lawsuit right behind this one from another voting machine company. That would be Smartmatic. Smartmatic voting systems for almost twice as much, $2.7 billion. So we will see. Uh, Fox may have a rough time of it in front of them. And as long as we're talking about the fake news from Fox News, one more story here before we get to a break. Uh, As you know, Tucker Carlson, my good friend, has been (laughs) attempting to rewrite history of Donald Trump's MAGA insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, yes? You call it rewrite history. I call it gaslighting. Straight up gaslighting. Take your pick. (laughs) Either one. Uh, In both cases, to do that, he is using cherry-picked video from some 40,000 hours of U.S. Capitol security camera footage that was given to him and only to him by Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy as part of some deal to allow Kevin McCarthy to actually become Speaker in the first place. Uh, Recasting Carlson has been recasting the day's events as little more than peaceful chaos and sightseeing by folks who didn't want to trash the Capitol because they revered the Capitol so much as he described it. Very little about January 6th was organized or violent. It was neither an insurrection nor deadly. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. Obviously. They are meek and they revere the Capitol. They are just sightseers. Silly you for thinking otherwise. So uh, that's not working out well so far for Tucker Carlson. uh, As the U.S. Capitol Police Chief, as we noted on our previous show, has pretty much savaged Tucker's rewritten history or gaslighting about an event where uh, more than 140 cops were seriously injured. And even uh, top Republicans in Congress have been slamming Tucker's false characterization of that day's events since, you know, many of them were actually there and know better about what actually happened. But since Tucker is in the mood to lie about history, I am happy to share some New video that was released today uh, via NBC News in an exclusive that they begin this way. Quote, two years ago, a mob of rioters who believed former President Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election viciously assaulted police, smashed out windows, stormed into an office, flipped over a giant conference table and barricaded themselves inside the U.S. Capitol, readying themselves for a fight with police inside a suite of hideaway offices for U.S. senators. You know, those peaceful sightseers who revered the Capitol. One of the uh, offices that uh, federal prosecutors recently disclosed belonged to Republican Jim Risch, the 79-year-old junior senator from Idaho, where Trump is tremendously popular. That's right. The junior senator from Idaho is 79 years old. Just to give you an idea of uh, the average age of our uh, U.S. Senate. In any event, uh, videos show a rioter, a number of them, but specifically one named Daniel D.J. Rodriguez. He has pleaded guilty to driving a stun gun into a police officer's neck, nearly killing him. 
smashing out Senator Risch's window overlooking the Washington Monument and the National Mall, smashing it out from inside the office in an attempt to let more rioters into the building. Video released this week shows Risch's trashed desk and office. Here's a little bit of audio from that recently released tape. As you can hear, the insurrectionists rifling through the desk drawers and other storage uh, cabinets in the office. The banging that you will hear uh, is, is these guys, I believe it's Rodriguez, trying to smash out the window. Uh, and it's apparently shatter-resistant uh, glass. Who has a knife? Scissors. Look for scissors and knife. I'll let her open, open this up. That's them smashing the windows open, rifling through the desks, ransacking the ransacking office. the turning over the tables and so forth. Eventually, as the Capitol Police were then clearing the way into the suite of offices and moving toward Senator Risch's office, the rioters used that window that they had smashed out apparently as an escape route before the law enforcement officers could get to them. No, we're going to have to, like... There's still people in there. Guys, it's over. Come on. It's over. Come on. Come on, guys. I got to wait for it. Come on, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. How many more is in there? Come on. You got to come now. You got to come now. Come on. So, you know, just a little bit of sightseeing in the Capitol. Why have Democrats and the media lied to you about (laughs) these things? Just a little light breaking of windows, as one does when one's at the Capitol. Now, a few points worth noting here. Uh, A a review of Senator Risch's public statements on January 6th, according to NBC, show no indication that he has ever mentioned what happened to his office that day. Asked by NBC News this week about his office being trashed and told about the new footage of rioters in his hideaway office, Rish, again, a senator from Idaho, where Donald Trump reportedly won by more than 30 points back in 2020. Well, Rish demurred. He said, I don't do interviews on January 6th, but thanks. What a hero. For the uh, record... On the evening of January 6th, after the rioters were finally cleared out of the Capitol hours later, Senator Risch actually voted to certify President Joe Biden's victory and condemn the attack at the time as, quote, unpatriotic and un-American in the extreme. He added in a statement that evening, quote, we are grateful to the law enforcement officers that placed themselves in harm's way and kept those working at the Capitol safe today. I was proud to join my colleagues and reconvene at the Capitol tonight to prove that mob rule never prevails. Well, 
Guess what, Senator? If he won't talk about what happened in his own office by these people, well, guess what? Mob rule may very well prevail the next time, Senator. Daniel D.J. Rodriguez, seen in other January 6th footage, driving a stun gun into the neck of Officer Michael Fanone of the Metropolitan Police Department, as one does during a sightseeing tour. He's seen in this uh, in this new video inside the office suite around the uh, time that first responders were rushing Fanone to the hospital after he had lost consciousness. You'll recall Fanone as the cop who was dragged down the stairs in front of the Capitol, pummeled and beaten by rioters who then tased him and crawled over him to enter the Capitol. Uh, In his uh, admitted statement of offense, Rodriguez said that he had used several objects to try to smash Senator Risch's window before telling other rioters that he had uh, used a stun gun on Fanone's neck. He admitted to all of this, quote, OMG, I did so much effing blank and got away. Tell you later, Rodriguez wrote in a Patriots 45 MAGA gang telegram group after he had escaped Rish's office, quote, tased the F out of the blue. So uh, this was an exclusive, never-before-seen video, I guess, from NBC News. I can't understand why Tucker Carlson did not share that one with his viewers this week when trying to let them know what really happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But I, I do wish to thank him, actually, since had he not shared his deceptively edited attempt to rewrite history to gaslight the nation... I might not have bothered to share that video with you guys at all. So uh, I'm not sure uh, Tucker's scheme is actually working out quite as well for him as he might have thought. Quick break, and we're back with some 2022 accountability news, at least for one of those 2020 election deniers. And our latest Green News report with Desi Doyen. That's all ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, okay, remember this Looney Tunes 
cowboy hat wearing right wing uh, election denier dude who ran for secretary of state in Arizona during the midterms last year after saying that he would not have certified Joe Biden's repeatedly confirmed and verified and audited over and over again win in Arizona back in 2020 while at the same time calling for things like ending early and absentee voting in the state even though he had actually voted for well over a decade by absentee ballot himself before he then finally lost last year to Democratic candidate Adrian Fontes for Secretary of State and refused to concede and filed a lawsuit claiming that the election had been stolen from him. The election that he had lost by 120,000 votes was actually stolen somehow through some way that nobody actually knows. Uh, all of that happened that with that guy last November. Well, he's been very busy. Yes. As uh, reported by uh, TPM this week, an Arizona judge has now ordered sanctions against Mark Fincham, the election denier who ran on the Republican ticket for Arizona's secretary of state for mounting a baseless challenge against the 2022 election results. Now, I know this gets confusing because we've had to report a lot of challenges to elections that have been tossed out in recent months, most of them apparently coming from Arizona. We've also had to report on uh, or been pleased to report on sanctions ordered against attorneys and uh, right wingers who are suing, you know, with with no cause. And yet they keep doing it in any event. Here's another one of those stories, another accountability story for one of these liars and deniers. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Melissa Iyer Julian said that Fincham and his attorney filed their lawsuit, quote, without substantial justification. She is now ordering him to pay, wait for it, $292 (laughs) in court costs. Uh, to his uh, Democratic opponent, Adrian Fontes. That said, also, she is ordering that he pay attorney's fees for both Fontes and Governor Katie Hobbs, which will likely be uh, considerably more than $292. Fincham's challenge, according to the judge's order, was, quote, groundless and, quote, filed in bad faith. He lost his race to Fontes by 120,208 votes in November. Oh, so close. He filed a lawsuit in December seeking to redo the the entire election under the false claim that the then Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, had engaged in misconduct and that illegal votes were cast due to technical issues rendering the final result unreliable. The county judge threw out the lawsuit soon after it was filed, so the decision this week was only on sanctions. Fincham has still not conceded to Fontes, who has since taken office. Uh, In her order, the Maricopa County judge said that while state court only awards sanctions in rare cases, Fincham's lawsuit qualified as one of them. Quote, none of contestant Fincham's allegations even if true, would have changed the vote count enough to overcome the 120,000 votes he needed to affect the results of this election. Uh, As she wrote in her order, she pointed out that at one point, Fincham withdrew his request to inspect ballots, suggesting that the inspection wouldn't go his way. 
This quote demonstrates that Fincham challenged his election loss despite knowing that his claims regarding misconduct and procedural irregularities were insufficient under the law to sustain the contest, the judge wrote. Mr. Fincham and bad actors like him cannot be permitted to avoid accountability. That, according to the newly seated Secretary of State, Adrian Fontes, uh, in a statement released by his campaign, quote, his repeated lies, apparent campaign finance violations and bad faith legal efforts are a drain on Arizona taxpayers and a stain on our state's image. Well, I hope that other judges also decide to follow this judge's fact finding yep. and hold other people who are attempting to still grift money from pretending that they that the uh, 2022 election was stolen from them. People like, you know, I don't know, Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake. I had a feeling you were talking about her. <laughs> yes, uh, she is. Uh, she's still she's the gubernatorial can- Republican candidate. She has also refused to concede the election to date. She has also lost every suit that she has filed contesting it, claiming fraud with so far zero evidence to back it up. And then, you know, when she loses these suits, she just lost one. Was it a week or two ago in uh, the appeals court Yep. in Arizona? Now she's going to the Supreme Court. So she went out and told all of her social media followers, I told you we were going to go all the way to the Supreme Court like this was a victory. Please give me money. Here's the link to my fundraising page. Well, that is kind of a victory to say, hey, give me some millions. Mark Fincham, meanwhile, plans on, just like Kerry Lake, appealing this decision, according to his attorney. Well, good luck with that, sir. And uh, let's see. Finally, uh, before we get to the GNR, from the excellent uh, Seth Borenstein at AP today, some good news, I think, uh, that otherwise came in too late for our otherwise terrible news (laughs) GNR coming up next. Uh, After three nasty years, the La Nina weather phenomenon that increases Atlantic hurricane activity and worsens western drought is gone, says the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration on Thursday. That, writes Borenstein, is usually good news for the U.S. and other parts of the world, including drought-stricken northeast Africa, according to scientists. The globe is now in what's considered a neutral condition and probably trending toward uh, an El Nino in late summer or fall. That, according to climate scientist Michelle Leroux, head of NOAA's El Nino-La Nina forecast office. It's over, said research scientist Azar Ezan, the, uh, who heads the Columbia University El Nino-La Nina forecasting office. Quote, Mother Nature thought to get rid of this one because it's enough. <laughs> La Nina is a natural and temporary cooling of parts of the Pacific Ocean that changes weather worldwide in the U.S. because La Nina is connected to more Atlantic storms and deeper droughts and wildfires in the West. La Ninas often are more damaging and expensive than their more famous flip side, El Nino, according to experts and studies. Over the last three years, the U.S. has been hit 
as this La Nina has been raging, if La Nina's rage, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but over the last three <laughs> years, uh, throughout that period, the U.S. has been hit by 14 hurricanes and tropical storms that caused a billion dollars or more in damage each, totaling $252 billion in costs, according to NOAA. La Nina and people building in harm's way uh, were factors, they say. Climate change is a major factor in worsening extreme weather alongside La Nina, according to scientists and numerous studies and reports. La Nina has also slightly dampened global average temperatures, keeping warming from breaking annual temperature records, while El Nino slightly turbocharges those temperatures. You've noted many times with all of the record temperatures we've seen around uh, the globe this year, uh, it would have been much worse had we not been in the middle of a cooling La Nina pattern. Correct, because uh, basically what happens is out in the Pacific Ocean, it oscillates between cooler phases and warmer phases, the cooler phases being the La Nina, the warmer phase being the El Nino. When when the Pacific Ocean, during an El Nino, it gets really warm and it burps out a lot of this heat, and that ends up causing, um, uh, it, it gooses the global mm-hmm. temperatures on average. So, and that in turn... That heat energy fuels these extreme weather events that we have seen that are just, like you said, turbocharged during an uh, during El Nino. During El Nino. This is a La Nina, but it causes more storms, apparently. Or At least it, for the U.S., yeah. and it does have an effect on drought in Africa. So it's really important and good news that the La Nina has, uh, has finally ended, for Africa at least. Um, but, you know, they have also forecast that an El Nino is potentially likely by the end of the year and Can't when we just have a few minutes of peace we can but they're not going to last and people should oh, be aware okay. that um when we hit say a record year for heat like we have in the last couple of years they've been near record heats not quite records but the fact that they occur during an, an a la nina yeah. is uh, is very disturbing because if On it had own. been during an el nino year then a hottest year would be turbocharged even that much more well, that much more intense buck- Buckle up, because that seems to be what's coming. By the way, even though uh, La Nina may be declared over, uh, apparently uh, the rains here in California are not. We're expected to get walloped yet again for the next several days, which given all of the record snowpack in the mountains right now, which is generally good news as we have been in a years-long drought, so having the snowpack is great, but what it means is if we get a warm rain as we may be due for over the next few days. Well, officials are warning we could see huge flooding and mudslides right. over the next now, week or so. A lot of these areas, especially in Northern California, are still trying to clean up from the previous um, atmospheric rivers, those major storms that have come through. There are even people who are still being dug out of their homes yeah. that were you know, buried in 10, 15 feet of, of snow. snow. Yeah. And so we have... More rain coming in on already saturated ground that's already going to swell, already swollen rivers. And then on top of that, the rain falling on the snowpack that then could also melt the snowpack, which would add even more <laughs> melting and even more flooding and push our reservoirs into some 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 very interesting uh, situations. We'll see how long they hold out and if they'll have to release even more water from the reservoirs into those already swollen rivers that are already flooding. So buckle up. This winter ain't over yet, at least not here in California. Green News Report is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, Desi Doyen, some interesting uh, breaking news as I was checking over the break, checking my iPhone. I will click on that story and come back with, uh, well, what we might know about it uh, right after our latest Green News report. Do you have the ability to produce more oil? We do, but... Oil companies plan to keep prices high and supplies low. Plastic pollution in the ocean is doubling every six years. Plus... You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! CO2 emissions reached record levels in 2022. All of those wrong way stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We want oil, gasoline, natural gas because it's cheaper, better, and much more powerful. It's April Fool's Day. Actually, it's March, but we know who the fool is. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, uh, it does sound like we got a lot of stories about going the wrong way here today. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately, we do. Emissions of carbon dioxide reached a record high in 2022, according to the International Energy Agency, with countries emitting more carbon dioxide in the last year than in any other year on record dating back to 1900. Mm. It's due to a rebound in air travel from the pandemic and countries increasing use of coal for electricity amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine, disrupting global energy supplies. Annual CO2 emissions remain below pre-pandemic levels, so that's good. And the rise of wind and solar energy plus electric vehicles have helped offset the increase in fossil fuel pollution. So the emissions that are happening now are theoretically only temporary? Define temporary. I'd rather not. In other news, a new peer-reviewed study finds that methane emissions from agriculture could add nearly one degree Celsius of warming to the climate by 2100, even if fossil fuel use is drastically reduced. Also not good. Researchers calculated emissions of potent climate warming methane from the production of meat, dairy, and rice, and warned that without changes to curb methane in the food system, the world is likely to overshoot temperature targets targets in the Paris Climate Agreement. Heads up, U.S. retail gasoline prices are on the rise again and are likely to go even higher in coming months because the oil industry is reluctant to increase production while it's pulling in record profits. Of course. At an energy conference in Texas this week, the CEO of Occidental Petroleum, Vicki Holub, told CNBC that they are focused on buying back shares and won't increase production to lower prices on American families. Why not use more of that money to drill more wells, to pump more oil, to theoretically bring down prices? Well, actually, I think prices are in a good place right now. I bet you do. And I think gas prices at the pump are not so bad at this price. So I think it's optimum. 
for you, it's optimal. For everyone else, it's terrible, lady. And thanks in part to fossil fuels, there are now 21,000 pieces of plastic pollution in the ocean for every person on Earth. According to a major study out this week, humans have dumped dramatically more plastic pollution into the ocean than previously estimated. The researchers found that human plastic pollution has been doubling about every six years, and they found a rapid rise in tiny microplastic pollution since 2005. Well, that's okay with all the oil companies making records profits, I'm sure they'll be able to spend some of that money to clean up the mess that they made in the oceans, right? The researchers warned that cleaning up and recycling plastic waste will not be enough, and they called for manufacturers to be held responsible for the products they create, saying, quote, it's time to address the plastic problem at the source. Yes, please. But some good news. Finally. Australia, for the first time in its history, has rejected an open pit coal mine. This one was set to be near the Great Barrier Reef. Last month, Australia's Environment Minister rejected an application for the massive coal mine, citing the risk of water pollution and irreversible damage to the reef. The Biden administration Environmental Protection Agency this week proposed tighter limits on wastewater pollution from coal-burning power plants, restoring and tightening Obama-era clean water standards that were rolled back by the Trump administration. Finally, yes, it is still a fact that electric vehicles really are far cleaner than gasoline-powered cars, and that's even when factoring in the need to increase mining for battery production. A new analysis by Quartz compiled from the most recent data, finds that even after factoring in emissions from mining for materials required for EV batteries and the manufacturing process, the direct emissions from driving a typical internal combustion engine passenger car over its lifetime still far outstrips the total life cycle emissions of a typical EV by a factor of four. Well, you'd think Republicans would finally get that now that Elon Musk is apparently on their side, but... Message hasn't gotten to Donald Trump yet, apparently, so we keep paying at the pump. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, uh, very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yes, and so what is that breaking news? I have been news? reading this uh, breaking news uh, during the GNR there. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office recently signaled to Donald J. Trump's lawyers that he could face criminal charges for his role in the payment of hush money to a porn star, the strongest indication yet that prosecutors are nearing an indictment of the former president, according to four people with knowledge of the matter, writes the New York Times. Now, I know it feels like uh, he has been nearing an indictment <laughs> for ages at this point. But uh, here, the prosecutors apparently offered Trump the chance to testify in the coming week 
so next week before the grand jury that has been hearing evidence in the potential case the people said such offers almost always indicate an indictment is close it would be unusual for the district attorney alvin bragg to notify a potential defendant without ultimately seeking charges against him so they're giving him a chance hey you want to come in and anything you want to tell the grand jury now's your chance In New York, potential defendants have the right to answer questions in the grand jury before they are indicted, but they rarely testify, and Trump is likely to decline the offer. His lawyers could also meet privately with the prosecutors in hopes of fending off criminal charges. Any case would mark the first indictment of a former American president, and the Times notes could upend the 2024 presidential race. Uh, They also note uh, while uh, Bragg could become the first prosecutor to charge Mr. Trump, he might not be the last. And they uh, then go on to note Georgia and the Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's investigation into a pretty huge criminal conspiracy that seems to have played out after the 2020 election in Georgia. Yeah, but there has been some changes in uh, Georgia state law that might make it um, easier for the Georgia state legislature to try to muck with and mess with Bonnie Willis's investigation. To try to toss her out entirely. But I think it's going to be a while before that. I don't want a while. One hopes it will be a while. It'll be a few weeks before that can actually be passed in the Georgia state legislature and signed by the governor. And then they have to put together committees to do all this stuff. That said, Fonnie Willis, hey, now is a great time to get to work and finally file these indictments. Yes. If that's something that one is planning on doing, one might want to pick up the pace just a little bit. In the meantime, we can uh, look forward, apparently, maybe, possibly, to Donald Trump being uh, indicted soon in Manhattan. Maybe. I'll take Manhattan. <laughs> all right, we got to get out. Thanks again to our producer, Desi Doy, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or just want to go back and give it another listen, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com, where there is no paywall. Thanks to those of you who support our work by clicking on a donate button or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% listener and reader supported. So, Thank you for that, and thank you in advance if you haven't donated ever or lately. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Till we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Wreck of the Old 97 is a classic bluegrass song recounting a spectacular train crash in 1903 caused by the company's demand that the engineer speed down a dangerous track to deliver cargo on time. 120 years later, we have the wreck of the Norfolk Southern, a devastating crash caused by the corporate demand that it be allowed to run an ill-equipped, understaffed, largely unregulated, two-mile train carrying flammable, cancer-causing toxics through communities putting profit over people and public safety. This rolling bomb of a train was hardly unique. 
for the handful of multi-billion dollar railroad giants that control the industry also control lawmakers and regulators who are supposed to protect the public from public-be-damned profiteers. A measure of their arrogance came just two years ago when an Ohio legislative committee dared to consider a modest proposal for just a bit more rail safety. Norfolk Southern executives squawked like Chicken Little, asserting a plutocratic doctrine of corporate supremacy on such decisions. They even imperiously proclaimed that state lawmakers have no right to interfere in safety matters. Ohio's Chamber of Commerce dutifully echoed Norfolk's concern for profit over people, testifying that, quote, Ohio's business climate would be negatively impacted by the bill. Never mind that Ohio's public safety climate can literally be negatively impacted by train wrecks. The chamber postulated that a crew safety provision in the Ohio bill was illegal because, quote, it would interfere with the employment relationship between employers and their employees. Yes, that's a corporate claim that executives have an inalienable right to endanger workers. This is Jim Hightower saying, sure enough, bowing to the corporate powers, Ohio lawmakers rejected the safety bill. And that, boys and girls, is why train catastrophes keep happening. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you subscribers to Jim Hightower's Lowdown on Substack. Find us at jimhightower.substack.com.